I want to look this morning in the book of Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, and I want to give a little bit of context before we get into the main um, passage that I want to look at here. So Matthew chapter 18, I want to begin reading verse 15 to kind of set the stage for the rest of the chapter. <clears throat> this is Christ speaking. Chapter 18, verse 15, he says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or, I'm sorry, one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear it to the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you that if two or more shall agree on earth as touching anything, that they shall ask, it shall be done for them in thy Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Christ is speaking to uh, at least his disciples and probably quite a few other uh, people who are around during this. And he's giving them some advice on a number of things. We could look at um, how we should keep each other accountable, what happens when we're not going to do that, and how we should take someone else as a witness. And finally, if they're brothers, and in this case, we're talking about brothers, we're talking about brothers and sisters, but those who are believers. And so what should we do when we have another brother or sister who has wronged us in some way, how we should treat them. And if it doesn't go well independently and with a witness, then bringing them before the church. And if it still doesn't go well, what we should do after that. So I wanted to make sure that you understand the context here because there isn't a pause in between what happens next. So keep in mind that uh, the disciples and those who were there just heard this. Specifically, Peter heard this. So we're going to read the rest of the chapter and I want you to keep that in mind while we see um, Peter's response. So in verse 21, we're picking up there. It says, And then uh, came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Seven times. And Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore, if the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which he would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, he was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for so much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will repay thee. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down on his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants uh, saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he called him and said unto him, Thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest of me. 
Shouldest thou not also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors until he should pay up all that was due to him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father also do unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. And so again, just to help with the context here, we have this discussion of um, what we should do when we have a brother or sister in the Lord who owes us something, who we have a conflict with, someone who maybe uh, we have something against or has something against us and how we should handle that. Then following that, we have this uh, very uh, strong statement about uh, two or three of us agreeing on something. And then Peter pipes up like Peter always does and asks a question. It's easy to kind of always think Peter's being silly, but he's really not being silly in this context whatsoever, given the context. In fact, if you go back and look at uh, Jewish traditions, they were told that you could forgive somebody once, twice, three times, but on that fourth time, you didn't have to forgive him. And so the fact that Peter is asking, well, what if I forgive someone seven times? Is that enough? He's actually going further than what the traditions of the day would have. Now, this wasn't necessarily a law. This was more like a tradition, kind of like we might say today, you know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice. No, wait, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. I'm going to get that wrong. Uh, but it was nevertheless a tradition to do this up to three times. On the fourth time, you, you cut this person off. And so Peter was really uh, probably being pretty generous. And it kind of makes you wonder, what prompted Peter to think about this, right? After that last discourse of, uh, if you have a brother who has something against you, I wonder who it was, what the context was. Well, we don't know, and it really doesn't matter, but Christ then began to give a parable, and that's where I want to really focus today, looking at um, this parable. Now, Peter, again, um, it's easy to give him a hard time, but we really shouldn't. Uh, in this case, again, Peter was willing to be very generous, and he had heard uh, the Lord say something twice before this. Let me read both of those. Earlier, Matthew 6, 14 through 15, Christ had said, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And similarly, it was recorded in Luke chapter 17, verse 3, it says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And so Peter had a lot of context. Peter was learning um, through all this. Never got it. Well, I said never. Didn't always get it right. But he was trying and learning and probably asking a very honest and forthright question. So he comes and says, if someone sins against me, has something against me, should I forgive him seven times? And Christ looks at him and says, well, not just seven, but seven times, 70 times. Now, I pre-did the math because I'm horrible at it. That's 490 times. I don't have Amy here to point out how I was wrong about this. But that's 490 times that we're supposed to forgive somebody. So the question comes, is that really what Christ meant? 490 times, is that, is that what I should be doing? No. This is, in other words, talking about infinitely forgiving somebody. This isn't a number that we're supposed to keep up with or keep track with. It's not like every time someone offends me, I have a little tally mark, I get to 491, I'm like, well, you are done. 
No, this is in fact a reference to basically saying there is no end to the forgiveness that we are to give each other. And then he sets up this parable. And um, this is where we really want to look today because this is the meat of what we're looking at. So therefore is the kingdom of heaven like unto a certain king which gave an account of his servants. And so we have this very, very wealthy man who has apparently loaned money of some type to a variety of people. And one of them was in debt to him and owed him. And we have this parable. Now, these talents, a talent is a, uh, not necessarily, it's not actual money. It's more of like a, a volume, a measurement of money here. And I have found very wildly um, ranging values of how much this is today. Uh, some people would translate it and say this is um, a couple hundred thousand to a million. Others have said half a billion. Um, the reality is it's a lot of money, money that could never, ever, ever actually be repaid. And I think that's really important. So keep that in your mind as well. This is money owed that could never be repaid. In fact, if you look at the actual um, wording here, it basically implies countless, right? So 10,000 talents is really basically a way of saying countless. And we see this in other portions of the scripture where it talks about 10,000 angels, right? Basically saying they're countless, limitless uh, angels. And the implication here is that this man owed a debt that he could never, ever, ever pay. But it was due. And the king was going to collect. And the king asked for the money. And of course, he didn't have it. In verse 26, it said, The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay all of it, all that I owe. And notice here some very important things that happen. When it says that he worshipped him, it basically means that he humbled himself, fell down before the king, begging for forgiveness. He didn't say, well, I don't owe it. He didn't say, I could never pay it. He said, I will pay you. Humble forgiveness. He said, I, I will pay you. Just give me more time. And interestingly enough, the king or the Lord of this says, then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Now, this again is very important because this king was moved with compassion and pity for the one who had racked up the huge amount of debt. He didn't just say, well, I'm going to restructure this and give you a lower interest rate. He didn't say, well, fine, I'll give you another five years. He didn't continue to threat him. No, he just basically said, fine, it's completely gone. So this person who had an inquantifiable large amount of money owed was just simply forgiven the complete debt. It wasn't a lower interest rate. It wasn't five more years to pay. It wasn't an I'll take this in lieu of this. It was simply forgiven. Can you imagine? Maybe some of you have had experiences where you've had a significant amount of debt in your life and what that's like when you pay it off. You pay off a car or a house or something like that and it just feels better, doesn't it? In fact, the scripture tells us that the debtor is slave to the lender. This man knew there was no way he could ever repay it and received such grace and such mercy from the one who was owed to to just say, you don't owe me anything anymore. Now, I do want to make one note. He wasn't relieved 
of his duty to that king. He was still a servant to the king. He just didn't owe him any more money. So he cancels the debt, remains a servant. <laughs> now, we don't know all, you know, this is a parable, so there's not real strict timelines here, but it would seem as though this person left that meeting and very shortly after found another servant of him who owed him a much smaller amount of money, probably around $4,000. Again, compare half a billion by one estimate to 4000 We're talking about nothing. And we see that this servant was violent with the other one, grabbed him by his throat, began to choke him, demanding, saying, pay me the money that I am owed. And we see that this other servant had almost the same response as this one. He humbled himself and acknowledged and said he would pay. But he was having none of it. So he threw him into jail until he could pay. But we must remember that the things that we do, others see. And in this case, other servants saw this behavior, went back and told the king. And the king was not very happy with what had done. So he calls him before him in verse 32 and 34 through 34. It says, Then this Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you desirest of me or because you begged or humbled yourself before me. Should not then you have also had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had had pity on you. He calmly pointed out what he'd done. Again, we even hearken back to the earlier part of this chapter. We see the king did this correctly. He called the servant before him and called him out. Likely, uh, there were others who would uh, uh, pass the story back to him, who'd been there as witnesses if he'd had to. And this great king revoked his pardon and punished that prisoner with tormentors. The idea that he would be tormented for a long time until he could repay. And how long would he have to be tormented before he could repay? Forever, because he could never, ever pay the debt, especially when you are thrown into prison to be tortured. So where does all of this leave us? Well, we learn some very important lessons from this. Verse 35 says, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you, if you from your hearts forgive everyone his brother their trespasses. So it says, so likewise, in other words, it means based in this spirit or on this principle that we are to forgive others. And that forgiveness implies simply from the heart, honest, true conviction that you truly forgive someone else. See, we've talked about before what it's like when you um, are caught doing something wrong and you can be sorry you got caught. We've all been there, right? That's usually when you jump, when you're doing something that you didn't expect someone to find you. But to truly be repentive of it is an entirely different thing. And so this isn't just being sorry, but this is truly from your heart forgiving your brother. Now, many of us who've been around kids for a long time, I'll just make this about young children because it's easier for us to understand. Many of us might say when two of them are fighting, tell your brother or sister you're sorry. Or tell your friend you're sorry. And we get this, I'm sorry. That's not from the heart. 
That's not what's being implied here. That's not simply giving a verbal assent to say, well, I'm sorry, or I forgive you. This is saying from our hearts that we are truly to forgive someone, that we should be sorrowful over what we did or didn't do, and we should truly seek a heartfelt uh, forgiveness from this, and that we should forgive other people. Now, I gave you the example of a, of a young person, not because they're the only ones who do this, but we do it all the time. How many times have you verbally said you're sorry to somebody when you really didn't mean it? How many times have you just justified your own anger, your own thoughts, your own hard feelings towards somebody else, and then said, well, I forgive them, even just to yourself, when in fact you really don't? So this should be very challenging to us, because there's a harsh reality that comes from this. This implies that we forgive each other from our hearts, just as our Father has forgiven us. This is where we bring some of this into a sharp contrast. We are to forgive others, especially those who are brothers and sisters in Christ, when they wrong us. Listen, we live together, we function together, we are a part of a community of believers, but we don't always and will not always get along. We will offend other people. We will cause problems with other people. But we should do what to our brothers and sisters? We should forgive them. How often? Always. Why? Because that's what Christ has done for us. You see, we are called to forgive at the same level that Christ forgave us, which is a debt that we could never, ever, ever repay. Do you have a brother or a sister that you hold something against? Do you need to forgive someone something? Luke 8 and 18 says, Take care then, for the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who has not, even that that he thinks he has will be taken away. Brothers and sisters, I'm concerned sometimes that There may be people who are listening or listening in the future or at some point in our lives that we have something against our brother and our sister and we refuse to forgive them. And it can end up harming us. 1 John 4 and 20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So the lesson seems very clear that we are to forgive each other. Now, I want to give one caveat to this, and I suppose I could probably uh, provide some biblical support for this. We are, in fact, supposed to forgive others. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't learn a lesson from this and maybe reconsider what we do in the future, too. If you have someone that's constantly violating you and offending you over and over again, and you're the one who's in the right and they're the ones who are in the wrong, we can go back to the earlier passage, right? And we can say, well, we're going to tell them, look, I don't appreciate what you're doing. I don't like the way this is going. You have wronged me in some way. And if they won't listen to you, then bring a couple witnesses together. If that doesn't work, then let the church help you uh, settle this. And if that doesn't work, then what do you do? You forgive them, but you separate yourself from them. And sometimes that's what is required. But oftentimes when we get to the point that we just separate from someone, we still hold on to a bitterness against them. And this is not what we should be doing. 
Mercy and grace are clearly seen within this passage. A little brief definition of mercy. Mercy is not giving to a person what they deserve. And grace is giving to a person what he doesn't deserve. So mercy is not giving to a person what they deserve. And grace is giving something to a person that they don't deserve. And so here we see in this very uh, clear parable that is also talking about salvation as much as it's talking about how Christians ought to live our daily lives, that we, being recipients of grace and mercy from our Lord, should give that to other believers who are among us. We should give them mercy, even if they deserve no mercy. And we should give them grace, even if they don't deserve that. Because Christ did both those things for us. And so in this passage, I think we see two clear pictures. One is a picture of forgiveness for others. We are to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ. Ephesians 4 and 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We must not forget that we have been forgiven We've received grace and mercy equivalent to this, equivalent to 10,000 talents. An an amount we can't even calculate is what God has done for us, and therefore we should forgive others in the same way that God forgave us, which is without limit. Again, it doesn't mean that we have to always continually do business with them and let people who are taking advantage of us take advantage of us, but it means that we should forgive them in the same amount that we've been forgiven, which is simply immeasurable. That immeasurable amount is reflected in Romans 5, 8, but God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because the second part that we see so clearly in this parable is a picture of salvation. That is every sin that we commit is a debt owed to God. And we might like to think, well, I don't sin a whole lot. Maybe you won't say that out loud, but you might think it. Of course, let us not forget that even thinking about doing the wrong thing is also a sin. And if we were to add up a lifetime of evil thoughts, a lifetime of times that we didn't think about God, but thought about ourselves, a lifetime of times that we said things that we wish we hadn't or shouldn't have said, a lifetime of things that we have done that we should not do, and a lifetime of things that we didn't do that we should have, we begin to get some idea, the level of debt that we owe to the one who demands and is perfection. And there is no possible way for us to ever actually fully pay that debt. The only thing that we can do when God comes to us and says, You owe me, is to fall to our knees and to worship Him and to beg for forgiveness. And even if the right response is to say, No, God, I will do better. The reality is you can never do good enough, just like this servant could never fully pay off. The debt. It takes God's willingness to cancel the debt, to forgive us, to wipe the slate clean. Now, we're still a servant to him, but no longer under the bondage of sin and a debt that I owe him because that debt has been paid once and for all by the man who said these words, Jesus Christ, 
who would a short time later go to a cross and pay the penalty for my sin and your sin that he didn't deserve so that he can go before his father and say, it is finished. The debt has been forgiven. The sins are gone of those who put their faith in me, who have worshiped me, who have fallen before me and begged for forgiveness. There will be someday an accounting. At some point, you'll have to stand before an almighty, all just, all powerful, perfect God and give an account for your life. And the only thing that you can do is possibly point to the one who forgave you and wiped the slate clean. There is no amount of goodness you will ever do in this world to cancel the debt that you're owed. If God was only just, we'd receive eternal punishment, eternal torment. But God is also mercy and grace. And in his mercy and grace, we don't have to pay the penalty that we're, we owe because God can and does forgive it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the results of works, lest anyone should boast. And so when we read this story and we consider the debt that's owed, let us always remember that we owe the same debt. Whether you're eight or nine years old, when God opens your eyes and says before you, look at what you have done and you fall on your knees and are saved and worship him. Or you're 88 years old when God reveals to you what you've done and you are saved at that time. You have a debt that starts the moment that you take your first breath and only builds all through life that you can never, ever, ever repay. And you must at some point go before the king. Fall on your knees and beg for mercy. And the reality is, God will do the same thing that it says here. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave the debt. If you have been set free, then you are Free indeed, the scripture says. And if we as believers, as those of us who have experienced this, if we have been convicted by our sins, if we have been forgiven a debt and no longer have to pay, how much more should we do that to our fellow believers, you see? When we stop and consider what God has done for us, and when we stop and consider what we might have against a brother or a sister, we should be excited to forgive, eager to let go. Does that mean it's easy? Well, no, it doesn't. Sometimes it's very, very, very hard. It's terribly hard. Again, Peter here was trying to be nice. Well, normally Jewish custom says three times, but I'm going to, I'm going to say seven because once before Christ had said something about seven times a day forgiving your neighbor. And Christ was telling Peter and those who were there, no, much more than seven. Follow what will be his example to forgive infinitely. And so we have certainly a challenge today. I don't know who you might need to forgive. I don't know what you might need to do to do that. I do know that there are times in our lives and, and wounds that go so deep that we have to have the Lord to help us properly forgive someone else. I'm sure that's true. 
But brothers and sisters, if you have something against someone else, we need to resolve it. If you need help with that, then take someone with you. If you need help with that, then go to the Lord and ask Him for help. I hadn't really thought about saying this, but I want to take just a minute to say You know who can be the hardest person to forgive? Yourself. If the Lord can forgive you for all that you've done, why won't you forgive yourself? Is it just as wrong to not forgive yourself as it is to not forgive someone else? would seem to be appropriate. It would seem to be about the same. It seems as though many of us today, and I'll just add myself in here, I'm pretty quick sometimes to forgive other people. Y'all figured that out after a long time. It takes a lot to get me upset. But boy, I'm really hard on myself. You figured that out too, haven't you? I don't always like to forgive myself. Maybe in our culture today, And maybe for today, in this moment, that's what we need to concentrate on. If you know that God has forgiven you of a debt you could never pay, then you need to forgive yourself. It's not a license to sin. It's not an opportunity to to go back and do something wrong again. But if we're holding on to something that Christ has already forgiven, that's probably not a good place to be. And so for those who are here today who've never, ever been forgiven the first time, you've never realized, or if you have realized, you've never fallen on your knees and come to God and worshiped Him saying, please forgive me for the debt that I can never pay, the debt that I have been building and building and building since the moment that I was born, the debt that I will never, ever be able to pay, the debt that is like a wall between me and you. If you never have come to the point where you fall to your knees and worship and receive forgiveness from God, then you need to do that. And you need to do it soon. Because until you do, that debt continues to grow. And the outcome is what? Eternal torment. And for those of us who have experienced that grace, we must remember to give ourselves and others the grace and mercy at the same level that Christ gave us, which is complete. Not just lip service, but deep down inside, we have to truly forgive those who have trespassed against us. We must forgive ourselves for what we perceive as our shortcomings, and we must lay all of that at the feet of our Lord and Savior who can handle it all. And until we do that, well, we're just carrying a burden that's unnecessary. It'll weigh us down, and it will affect us. We'll be just like this servant, the evil one who was forgiven much and walked outside and grabbed someone else by the neck and said, pay me what you owe me. One passing thought. None of this is laying blame. All the servants owed each other. All of them. This is not about who was right and who was wrong. This is about forgiving. 
Sometimes we're more eager to forgive someone if we think they were right and we were wrong. But the reality is, it doesn't matter. We all owe a debt. There's always a price to be paid. And the answer always has to be love and forgiveness to each other. So if we could have a hymn, a time for you to reflect a time for you to seek forgiveness for yourself, a time for you to ask for help to forgive someone else, a time for you to go and forgive someone else. And I'll just mention, I don't have any notion or idea that there's any reason for me to preach this sermon today. I'm not thinking of anyone in this building or anyone that needs to go forgive anybody else. I just think it's a good reminder that we all need to have the way that we should love each other and forgive each other because of the one who forgave us an encouragement to those who've never been forgiven to seek that eternal forgiveness by going to the one who can wipe away the debt, falling on your knees and begging for forgiveness.